I think ultimately when people complain about it being too manicured, what they're really saying is it's too safe. Um, yeah. Does it look too safe? <laughs> I know, I know. And that's what gets me. That's why I get all grumpy about it because I don't want to see these guys hurt. I want to see them push the sport without endangering themselves on low percentage moves where it's like, yeah, you might crash, you might win, but eh, toss a coin. Hey, Pinkers, and welcome back to another Pink Bite podcast. This one is number 85, and it is a huge week in the world of mountain biking. After skipping last year, this coming Friday sees the best and ballsiest freeriders face the cliffs of the Red Bull Rampage. So, We've got a lot of gnarly people in our sport doing a lot of gnarly things, you know, whether it's the world's fittest cross-country racers pushing their bodies to the limit, World Cup downhillers pushing traction and handling to the limit, or even just local rippers that are going hard without anybody watching. But I don't think it's out of line to say that Rampage is, without a doubt, the rowdiest, scariest, most intense riding out there. And not only that, but we get to watch it go down live from the deserts of southern Utah. I'm Mike Levy, and today's show is all things Red Bull Rampage. We're going to talk about what it's like to build and then ride off some of those red cliffs, what it's like to crash down there, some of the most notable runs over the years, both good and bad, judging controversies, unfortunately, and weather delays, and we're even going to put our neck on the line with some predictions that probably won't pan out. But first, my pink bike teammate is here, as always, Mike Kazimer. In the spirit of Rampage, I want you to tell me about the biggest drop you've ever hit, and none of that pink bike feet shit either. I want actual measurements. What's the biggest thing you've hit? Uh, I don't know. I am on the spot. I can't... Like number wise, I don't know. There's some big stuff at the woodlot back in the day, but there like was, maybe yeah. I don't like vertical drop, not more than like 15 feet, I'd say. Yeah, that's not that seems big. big. I think it's it bigger. Big. 15? You've probably gone bigger. Yeah, I mean, I've hit like road gaps and things, but if we're talking like top to bottom, I don't yeah, know. yeah. I don't How think long I've ago was that, Kes? Mm, that one at the woodlot, I remember, was like a long time ago. But like, yeah. I'd say, but even nowadays, like when you ride Whistler, if you hit, if you ride like dirt merchant or something i feel like those drops are pretty big now i don't know yeah I, but they're I just also just like nice big safe floaters i know i'm the, talking about like when you go to the shore and there's like some ridiculous drop and you do like 20 run-ups and you're just like sweating balls you're so scared yeah that's uh, every yeah. ride man yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've never been a multiple run-up guy if i don't get it in three run-ups i don't do it oh yeah that's yeah cool. i do three sometimes i do four i did four the other day but it's usually three is the most because like what did you do four on it was just some rock roll that was looking slippery and slimy. I was like, it took me the fourth try to get it because <laughs> it, yeah, okay. it was gross. But yeah, I don't like to do the like, there's people I know that can like run up to it like all day long and then finally hit it after like three hours of looking at it. And I can't oh. do that. Yeah. But yeah, so my glory free ride is I never went like huge, huge. I'd say like medium big is my level. So yeah, 15 feet, 20 feet. I don't know. Probably never. I don't think I've hit a foot, 20 foot vertical drop before. So I'd say 15. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We got Brian Park here as well. Now it's a well-known secret Brian, that you were a guest rider on Drop-In back in 1991. <laughs> I'm sure you've hit some huge ass shit in the past. What's the biggest thing you've ever hit? Oh, you're talking about real feet though, not, not yeah. the pink bike ruler. So yeah, I mean, probably in terms of plum drop, you know, sort of short distance, but more vertical drop. I don't think I would have gone over 15 feet either. Um, yeah. But you know, there were some big things back in the days that the, there was a good, um, like a big ditch gap in Penticton that was like a step down that scared me pretty good um i never i never hit any of those like ord or gillard road or any of those, yeah, those what? i know those yeah <laughs> those are so gnarly those are so horrifying when those even today would be mm -hmm. insane gillard is one of the biggest things i mean it's still to this day it must yeah. be one of the larger things around right oh yeah yeah yeah, I remember we actually drove out there and looked at that in person and it doesn't even, it's one of those things that's so big that when you drive underneath it, you don't think about jumping over it. You know how like really good or ballsy riders, they see things you don't see? That's Gallard. <laughs> hey, does Rose Hill, does the Rose Hill road gap still exist? Oh, I don't know. I haven't been there for ages. When, when, when they rebuilt that, again, must be 15 years ago, they rebuilt it at some point and it, it had ended up having a bit of a booter on it and being a bit bigger. I was scared to hit that. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the, yeah. So that's kind of where I topped out. Since since you guys asked, the biggest thing <laughs> I've ever hit <laughs> is actually at the Rampage site, at the original, the first Rampage site. 
I mean, it was a long time ago now, but somewhere a little over 15, I would imagine, just because it has to be bigger than Casimir's. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I can go bigger than you now, so it works out. I'm not you worried. definitely go bigger than me right now, Kaz. That's for sure. <laughs> I can give you that. But I remember doing like, I think I did like 20 run-ups and completely psyched myself out. And the thing is, we're going to talk about what it's like to ride there, but when you go off something at Rampage, a drop at Rampage, you can literally see the other side of the valley. You don't see landings or anything like that. So visually, it's scary as hell. But yeah, I, there's no way in hell I would hit that today. We also have James Smurthwaite, who is going to tell us all about last week's news. But before he does that, James, I'm going to need to hear about your biggest huck. Oh, well, this one time I was in Utah and there was this like Marzocchi truck and... Um, yeah. <laughs> no, <I'm joking>. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, as the resident Joey, uh, probably 10 foot max. Like, yeah, definitely it's, a step down. But it's funny Joey. that you say that, though, James, because 10 feet is nothing to nothing to sniff at. You know, 10 feet is 10, 10 real feet. Well, it, yeah, it didn't feel like anything to sniff at at the time. I can tell you that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that was enough We're so me. desensitized from, from the old videos. Right, yeah. 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 <laughs> like when you see a fest video and you see them do the little setup long and low into the big booter, the long and low is too big for me. Oh, 100%. It's like yeah. that, that little setup <laughs> yeah. floater that they're not even thinking about. That's too big. Yeah. No, yeah. just no. Or those, the ones that I find that look incredibly scary to me are the fest jumps where they like, it's like a berm that ends halfway through and they're going like 85 kilometers an hour out of a, the end of a berm that just disappears to like 50 foot step down setup. Shark fins are, are the coolest features. Ugh. Yeah, they're fun. They're weird though. We got some good new shark fins here. You've got a good one in Bellingham, right? We got a couple. We got like three good ones i'd say all right well we're going to talk about riders getting rowdy real soon but before we do that we need to hear about the news james well evie let's start with your big scoop um spy photos of the new grim donut how did you pull off that crazy exclusive that's wild yeah i don't know you know i just i think i just got lucky i just had a real good connection with the with the people behind the bike and yeah they gave us the scoop yeah we actually oh so this was manufactured we this jumped a... the embargo. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, going uh, underneath the truck was uh, really going above and beyond. Um, yeah. Yeah, version two of the Grim Donut is here. Um, this time, you save Genio in Taiwan. Um, it's been made uh, with Pivot at their US-based prototyping facility. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of changes you want to tell us but can't yet, Mike. Um, but what can you tell us at this point? Well, we have made some changes to the geometry. I don't think we want to talk about that, though, do we, Brian? Nah. No, I don't think so. Do you want to tell them about the suspension, though? Sure. So, yeah, so we, working with Pivot on this, has been super fun. And they came to us with the first iteration and based on the things we'd asked for. And we went, this is really cool. Could you Could you do one that pedals like shit instead <laughs> you know we don't want to lose what really made the last one special <laughs> yeah so instead they, there's sort of two links and one is designed by an actual engineer doing actual engineering things you might have heard of him his name is uh, dave weagle or something it's familiar yeah and then and then the other one is uh pretend engineered by us so that'll be fun it'll be fun to back to back those i've I pedaled it around with the non-DW link. It's terrible. <laughs> it pedals actually, it feels a lot like the first Grim Donut. Perfect. And the reason that we did that, I mean, I, I think the geometry is obviously a big part of how fast the bike was, but I don't think that uh, we should underestimate how much traction the bike has and like negative anti-squat. I think that was a big factor as well. So we're going to see. So this way, anyway... We can change the link and we can test it as a efficient pedaling DW link thing, uh, lots of anti-squat, or we can put on a non-DW link and it pedals like total shit. Um, so I guess you're you're going to start that testing process now. When do you think we can hear more? Whoa, about whoa, this? whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> we're going. We're about to go into a field test, so I'm not going to start it right now. Uh, but in a couple of weeks, we're going to get into that. Yep. Kaz, you were at Sea Otter where it was kind of unveiled to the public. Um, what did people make of it there? I mean, everybody, some people think it, it looks more normal than it should. 
like geometry's changed so much in bikes, people think it looks a little too normal, but it still looks weird. When you look at it from the right angle, it's like, ooh, something's different about that bike. It looks it's like not something's normal. wrong. <laughs> it looks yeah. like a car crash. <laughs> yeah, so it's not a normal bike, but uh, yeah, people are excited. And everybody at Pivot's super excited too. They're, it's kind of, they're excited to like make something that's out of out of their comfort zone almost. So yeah, I'm excited to actually ride that thing there too. Was, there was a great mean comment about this is the most interesting bike Pivot's ever made, but I gotta say, Pivot's been awesome to work with on this. They were one of the only brands that we talked to that was that wanted to just come in and help us make something cool rather than turn it into like a marketing exercise. So big, big, uh, yeah, lots of appreciation there. Brian, there's been about 5,000 comments, people asking if they're going to be able to buy one of these. Is that something we want to talk about yet? Or No, no comment. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> Um, next up is an update to Trex Top Fuel. So Top Fuel, formerly Trex XC race bike, but with the introduction of the Super Caliber a couple of years ago, it left the Top Fuel needing a new path. So that path is an increase in travel by five millimeters to um, 120 millimeters in the rear with the option of a 130 millimeter fork. It now features uh, far more progressive geometry and some refined features as well. What would you kind of call that that genre, like more refined, X capable XC by any any ideas on that one? I don't know. Mm, that's yeah. a hard one. We'll never know. <laughs> <then>. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, everybody. I was just joking. I've, you just see a lot of angry people that don't know that I was just joking. Well, what's interesting about this one is that it seems like they've shift just shifted the whole line over based on versus five years ago. Do you guys think that's a good strategy or is it weird? It is kind of funny to see the top fuel name on a bike like this. It is not quite the race bike that you used to think of it as. But well, I'm curious to see what happens when we actually ride it because I think we get a little too hung up on travel numbers sometimes. And even geometry when a, a 120 bike that's got a ton of anti-squat and designed to pedal super efficiently and whatever else is a, is a totally different thing than a transition spur. Maybe. We haven't ridden it yet. Yeah, exactly. It could be, the, we'll it could be the same exact thing. The numbers look really similar. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that those numbers work for a reason. I mean, they're, they're kind of similar to the uh, the Specialized Epic also. Epic Evo. Epic Evo. Yeah, right. Sorry. Not the Epic. But they're, yeah, there's these numbers at kind of a little sweet spot. So it's going to be fun to see how that goes during the field test. Next up, uh, Pond Beaver happened in real life with the return of Sea Otter last week. Kaz, you were there with Alicia. Um, it seemed to me maybe a bit quieter than in previous years. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it was a little quieter, but I was actually, I was impressed that they pulled it off. Like it wasn't, I, I kind of was worried that it would just be like one sad tent blowing in a dust storm. And I was like, oh, that's not going to be good. <laughs> but then like, yeah, there's a good amount of brands there. Like got to see a bunch of people I hadn't seen in a while. Um, and I was there earlier than like, it gets busier on the weekend. So I left a little bit early. So I wasn't there for like what was probably the busiest day, but um, yeah, I felt like it was, it was, uh, it actually went pretty well. What was the most exciting product you saw there, Kaz? You personally most excited in? There's some good stuff. I think I like 510's Velcro shoes that are coming out. They're like a mid top and I'm going to get some cause I want Velcro shoes because <laughs> they kind of look bad and kind of look good. Like if I could get that pole, one of the poles, either the e-bike or the other one, like the 190 yeah. crazy thing, if I could have that and ride with these Velcro shoes. And then I also Pac has these waterproof coveralls that they make. They look like car hearts, but they're, and I'm going to get two those Europe. too. No, it's gonna be so good. It's two Europe. <laughs> no, my winter is going to be amazing. I'm just going to have waterproof coveralls, Velcro shoes, and then some kind of goofy bike. And I'll be really happy. Do those pants have a pocket for a cigarette carton? Well, yeah, the front, they have like the front pouch. I think like you could probably go fly fishing with them too. I think. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Um, so those things were all there. Uh, there wasn't anything like crazy groundbreaking. I wouldn't say like there was a bunch of flight attendant bikes floating around just because SRAM was showing that stuff off, but there was no like never been seen before 15 speed drivetrain or anything like that more you know lots of companies still don't have stuff to sell really so the thing that i've missed most about trade shows is the random weirdos with a garage built product walking around trying to get somebody to look at it you know sometimes those folks don't email us and they should so trade shows are the place where we often see some of these or some of these people don't have the internet it's, it's <laughs> yeah it's very weird and more scope, or, but... yeah um, did you see anything like that? Was there anything uh, super weird? Nothing, not too much. Nobody, nobody found me. I moved pretty quick. Cause sometimes those people try to like glom on and like grab yeah. your coattails and like show you their crazy thing. You're like, yeah, so I moved fast, but, um, yeah, I think that, that guy with the digit bike, I didn't get to meet up with him, but that has the, the, the shock is incorporated in the frame. Um, I think he was wandering around down there. Oh, nice. There was another bike I was supposed to see, but didn't, but hopefully we have 
something about that coming up soon. Um, I did meet that guy, RRD Blocks. He's like the wheelie king. Like yes. he's got like oh, half shit. a million. Yeah, yeah. We hung out a little bit. I just like chatted chatting with him because he's super cool. He lives in Did New you get York. him to wheelie? Yeah. Really? He's very good at wheeling. Yeah. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to talk to him because he's cool. And like, uh, yeah, because I think he, well, he lives in New York and he's got like half a million Instagram followers because he's the guy that's always wheeling like straight up buses and does the swerve and stuff. And yeah. that's what he does all day. I asked him if he knew about mountain biking. He's like, no, I went to Mountain Creek once and got real tired. It's not for me. But then I asked Same. him, how, yeah. <laughs> but then I asked him like, how much do you ride each day? He's like, oh, you know, twelve hours or so. It used to be sixteen, but I cut back a little bit. And I was like, I bet you'd be fine at mountain biking. Like, <laughs> is he but, yeah. delivering stuff on bike, or is he just like wheeling no, for he's just sixteen wheeling. hours? He's just like a wheelie guy. Yeah, I love it. I know I it's awesome. It. That dude. It was probably the best part of the show is chatting with that guy. So, um, yeah, D blocks is cool. Going back to Trek, um, they released their first ever sustainability report, which is also the first we've seen from a major bike brand. Uh, Ed did a little article going through sort of some of the main takeaways, um, and they include that um, carbon frames produce three times as much emissions as alloy, EMTBs are unsurprisingly more polluting than regular bikes, and the air freight is 85 times more polluting than ocean freight. Um, what did you guys make of this one? Pretty badass that, they, that they're doing it. It's nice to see some people actually talk about it and acknowledge that, hey, you can't, it's a bike, therefore it's green. Like, I hate that shit. So it's nice to see somebody at least acknowledge that there's a environmental cost to making anything. Yeah, I agree. Looks, it's good that they're acknowledging it. I think we have a little, Seb Stott has an article coming up pretty soon where he asked a bunch of companies about their CO2 emissions plans, which kind of falls into this general environmental theme. So yeah, it's, it's just good to like acknowledge that companies are looking at stuff. So do you guys believe in climate change? <laughs> no, I'm going to edit that out. Don't worry. Yeah. I believe in it as much as you believe in aliens. <laughs> you have to believe in aliens, Casimir, at this point. I don't, uh, not, be I don't not believe in aliens. Yeah. Back on track. <laughs> Can we just talk about Hollow Earth for a bit? Hollow Earth? Yeah. Can we just make this a Hollow Earth podcast? Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about the possibility of breakaway civilizations, then that's a Topic I would love to discuss, Brian. I just want to talk about Agarthans inside <laughs> inside a Dyson sphere inside the Earth for a minute, just for fun. That's not where Dyson spheres go, Brian. I know, I know. It goes around the outside. God, what do you think I am, an amateur? <laughs> there is some compelling evidence, though, that rather than ETs, that some of the things we're seeing might be some sort of advanced breakaway civilization from long before, you know, and it's why that sounds crazy, is it actually any crazier than something coming from Alpha Centauri? None of it's crazy. I love it. <laughs> I don't. That's the thing is, I don't think any of it is crazy. You wouldn't because you're believing it. <laughs> Back to the news, everybody. <laughs> I think this is good. I hope other brands kind of follow suit. Um, do you think we'll ever get to the point where people would buy a bike, a mountain bike, based on you know it coming from a more environmentally friendly company? Uh, I think we're already there uh, to some degree. It matters to a lot of people. I think it's worth putting it into context of how, just how small and light a bike is compared to the waste generated by almost everything else we do, whether it's having kids or driving to work or whatever else, or the jobs that we have. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting was the air freight thing. So I think... That's a huge, so companies air freight bikes for really two reasons when they're kind of the same reason. And that's to hit a calendar that they've agreed to with distributors or retailers to not lose out on that money. And obviously air freighting is more expensive. It reduces their margins. Um, but the f more we can get away from the yearly seasonal cycle of new products at X time or Y time and launching when things are ready instead. Uh, it's our fault. Like they're air, air freighting bikes so that journalists can ride bikes early, etc., and get things ahead of time. If, if everybody would just chill out <laughs> just a little bit, just air freight a couple of bikes for pilot runs or whatever, and put the rest on a boat, that would help a lot. Moving on then. Um, Tinker Juarez has been let go by Candel. Tinker, a um, bit of a, an XC legend, World Cup winner, two-time Olympian. I think he's still quite a big presence in that sort of California race scene. I don't think this is something we would normally cover, um, but the way he kind of went about it meant we simply kind of had to. 
Um, so he posted on social media. Uh, I'll read the thing out in full. Um, Hi, everyone. If you haven't heard or not, Cannondale is dropping me because they don't have the budget to keep me on. $25,000 isn't a lot for a cyclist who raced almost 50 years. I don't have time to write everything I've done, but I could guarantee I sold more bikes than anyone racing for Cannondale. I gave my life to promote Cannondale and I believe I race as much as your top XC racer and more. So how can you just drop the best ambassador in the sport? I got this very powerful and touching text from my fan Paul today after my ride. He said, if Cannondale drops you after all you have done to represent the brand, I will boycott them forever. They should grant you life ambassador status because you are the greatest of all time. You are a legend and inspire me to keep riding. God bless. These words hit me. I'm thankful to Paul for these kind words. I know there are 10,000 people that feel like I do. Please post your feelings because it is not fair to be done like this so cold and unexpectedly. Uh, Tinker has deleted that post. Um, We spoke to him about clarifying and sort of expanding on it, um, but he kind of never really got back to us with anything there. He is a legend. It's a real shame to see him kind of splitting with a sponsor um, in this way. Um, Yeah, what did you guys think? I think a lot of people listening to this might not realize how important Tinker was uh, Mm -hmm. back in the earlier days of the sport, in the 90s and early 2000s. but on the other hand, well, first off, we don't actually know what happened sort of like behind the scenes, but I always hate, like these posts are always like, they're kind of cringy, aren't they? Um, the other thing is like, things change. You know, we, the, things have to change. They have to move on. Tinker can't be sponsored by them forever. We see riders transition into um, development roles, Brian. Yeah. I think we, we all know riders who have done that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there are tons of, it's always interesting to see what brands do with legends or what legends kind of carve out for themselves. It, you know, it's weird that somebody like Darren Barracloth really struggled to get to get support in the later part of his career. Um, and there are other people like, you know, Wade Simmons, who's transitioned to an amazing ambassador role at Rocky or Ned Overend in, in testing and stuff for Specialized. There's lots of people who transition well. I don't think Tinker was one of them. I, I don't think he had a... He's never been a very technical guy, so I don't think he has really a testing role to to do. And I mean, I don't think anybody should be surprised or offended when marketing does things that sell bikes. And I'm I'm sorry, Tinker is is just not right in that he's the the best ambassador in the sport and that he's sold more Cannondales than anybody else. Like those just, that's just not right. So yeah, it's a but tough I think, one to see. Yeah. I'll say like, I do, people are super hard on Tinker, which I understand. Like if you just read this and didn't even know who the guy was, you'd think he's super pretentious and pompous, I guess, which he could be. But I also think he's gotten stuck in a modern world where he's kind of still back in the past. You know, he's, he's 60 years old now. So he has been doing this for 50 years, but I don't feel like he's quite caught up with the, what it takes nowadays to be an ambassador like social media wise you have to kind of there's a lot to know about what to say how to write it even how to just be a presence on instagram where you know whatever your thoughts are on social media if you're going to be an ambassador that's how you connect with people so i think he's just gotten kind of left behind and i'm sure it's frustrating for him but it's also probably frustrating for the companies too being like tinker this isn't how you do things so i mean there are lots of people um we had um we had travis brown on from from trek and he's a former high level racer and he's transitioned really i don't think he i don't think trek's paying him for his social media presence they're paying for him for his testing right he um he's our uh, 32 inch wheeled messiah um but uh yeah there are lots of things wade is it wade simmons is a sales rep for rocky mountain there's lots of ways that that legends can can continue a mutually beneficial relationship with their with their brands um it just sucks to see this one kind of end like this we're in the news um with some industry stuff and that is that pon holdings has bought dorel sports for 810 million dollars so pon probably best known in the mountain bike world for being the parent company of santa cruz and focus and it can now add gt cannondale schwinn and um, a fair few more brands under its umbrella um this makes it the biggest bike brand in the world by revenue so they are predicting an annual take of 2.5 billion euros um, Giant was previously kind of the highest with $2.45 billion. Um, so this is super, super significant. Um, what do you think it means for those doll brands, the GTs and your Cannondales? Well, I haven't gone as deep into this as I would have liked before opening my mouth. So I'm sure I'm going to put my foot in it. Um, I th- guaranteed you went deeper than me. 
<laughs> I think there are a few interesting things. The first is that they bought the brands, not the business. So um, they, they bought the brands from CSG rather than buying all of CSG and its debt and whatever else. So I wonder what that's all about. Um, I think, I think that they have a better, those brands that the, there's a lot of smart people at GT and Cannondale. Um, and I think that they have more experience in e-commerce than Pawn does. So I'm wondering if there's a play there a little bit. I hope that it means that we'll get a, a clearer, I don't know, the, GT especially has been so tried to be so many things to so many different people over the years that it'd be nice to see GT kind of freed up from the need to be a Santa Cruz or compete with Santa Cruz. Um, yeah, I think you could, I mean, when you look at their list of brands now, it almost kind of makes sense. Like if you're, you know, if we're, you could see how they could position Santa Cruz, keep it up in that high end brand. And then GT, like you're saying, maybe make it a little more consumer direct or that you're more like mm -hmm. a little slightly more affordable and just kind of differentiate that. Um, yeah, be interesting to see where it goes. I mean, Pond is huge. They, and if you look at the things that Pond owns besides bikes, it's really crazy too. They own so many things like construction equipment. And like, I think they have some luxury car sales or something over in Europe. It's a massive company. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. They only really started getting into bikes. I think it like 2010 was when they bought Cervelo, the road brand. And now 10 years later, they're already kind of the biggest brand in, in cycling. It's, um, it's pretty wild how kind of quick they've moved on that and, yeah, genuine, like, giant of the, the industry now. I, I will say it's kind of weird to see the comments being so freaked out that businesses exist to make money. <laughs> yeah, that's always a theme. Like, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> you know like, how much profit they're making? Like, well, yeah, that's how people make money. I don't know. That's, that's literally why they're trying to do what they're doing. Yeah. I don't know. Should we start, like, a communist bike collective? Yeah. <laughs> we just, like, have... Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have like a dugout out back and and we'll just like bolt some scrap iron together. Grim Donut 3, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please pay us in <laughs> NFTs. <laughs> to be the best requires more than strength and heart. It requires intelligence, anticipation, and the ability to see what others can't. The Hammerhead Caru 2 is a next-generation cycling computer that brings the power of advanced GPS navigation and intuitive software right to your handlebars. Intuitive software delivers a seamless Strava Live segments experience, the best mapping and navigation, and highly accurate data, allowing you to explore and achieve your goals. For a limited time, Pinkbike podcast listeners can get a free Hammerhead heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Caru 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code PINKBIKE at the checkout to get yours today. All right, and that brings us to our questions. Now, if you missed the super duper leaked top secret spy shot first look prototype article. I think I hit all the important words in there. There's finally a new version of the Grim Donut. This one is built by Pivot Cycles. Now, unfortunately, we already talked about this. I didn't know James was going to put it in the news, but we're going to go over it again. We have two questions to answer. And the first one is from TSR497. He wants to know if he could buy this Grim Donut in real life. The answer right now, TSR497 is definitely not. But we are obviously thinking about it. So there might be some sort of limited run down the road. Brian's looking at me right now like, stop talking. But there might be some sort of limited sales down the road. All right, our next question is from Randy Verified. He says, looks like a DW link. Mike Levy wasn't fooling. And he posted a link back to our April Fools article when we, I guess we weren't fooling, were we? We said it's going to be built by Pivot and might have some DW link stuff going on and that's the case. So Randy verified, you get three pink bike tokens to spend them where you see fit. Where would you guys spend your pink bike tokens? <laughs> At the pink bike store, I'd buy t-shirts. <laughs> well, you need them because no Grim Donut isn't going to send us any more t-shirts, Kaz, because Levy leaked the story. Oh, Kaz, I don't know if you read that leaked uh, spy shot prototype first look uh, article, but you're fired. We had to fire yeah. you because Grim pulled their advertising dollars. I did see that. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I'll keep volunteering. <laughs> I think VancouverMountainBike.com might be hiring, though, if you want to check it out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'll give him a call. All right. And that brings us to our discussion today. We're going to be talking about the biggest free ride event 
in the world, Red Bull Rampage. I don't know if you guys are aware or not, but it's been 20 years since Wade Simmons won the first Red Bull Rampage back in 2001, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Now, the competition hasn't been held 20 times, of course. Uh, It's been held 14 times in total, and it's framed some of the sport's biggest moves. You guys remember Tyler Clausen's unbelievable bomb drop in 2002 and all the OG Rampage riders like Cam Zink spinning and then flipping the Oakley Sender, Seminuk somehow buttering the most hectic terrain around. A lot has happened over the years, so that's why I want to start it off. Casimir, what are some Rampage moments that stand out to you? Uh, yeah, we hit some of the ones that I would have thought, like Zinc's spins have always been crazy. Just dropping that far and spinning seems ridiculous. Uh, it was a couple of years ago when Nico Vink was working on a line that he didn't quite pull it off, but it just looked so heinous. It was like straight down the cliff face. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't hard, finish that a, line in time. And yeah, he had he a hard slam. Sent it in finals, even though the line wasn't done. Yeah, went over the was, catch berm at the bottom. is awful. It was awful, but that line looked just insane. Uh, let's see who else. Sam Reynolds. I think he had a big Superman over a Canyon gap. It was pretty huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of Seminuk stuff. Like I always just like how Seminuk throws in like techie bits, but then he'll do also his slow style flippy spinny stuff. So, and the most yeah. horrendous lines. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, he's like got technical mixed with, I mean, his lines win for a reason. Cause they have all the stuff that we'll talk about. Um, and I like the OG stuff too. Like back in the day, that was the stuff that made me want to be a free rider, you know, just watching those guys drop into weird, sandy pits and try to ride things now that you're watching it what they're doing now do you still want to be a free rider Kaz? and no i cannot be a free well i wish i could like i do but i can't like i understand that it's that ship has sailed a while ago and it, i never could have done what they're currently doing at any point yeah. in my life no what about you brian is there anything that stands out memory wise i'm sure many yeah. things do yeah i mean you touched on a bunch of the big moments i love uh i forget what year it was but the year that um, we maybe talk about this in the robberies discussion, but um, Darren Bearclough had that really cool, like natural wall ride, super creative line down. Um, I love I love that line. That was a really really good run. Um, other standout moments. Um, I'm gonna tell a Wade Simmons story from the year that they tried to have another Red Bull Rampage in where was it Australia? Oh yeah, they had tried to have a fi- another Rampage in Australia. When he- he did that huge drop with a flat tire. Yeah, so so he he did a, that drop with a flat tire. What he told me, though, is... And I think he got second on the thing. But what he told me is that he got a flat almost immediately out the gate. And they had the opportunity to do a rerun if you got a flat. Because everybody was getting flats. And at that point, he like between the adrenaline dump and just being lazy, he was like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> I'm just going to do this run at the flat. Um, what are the, Shout oh, out you, to uh, Spinergy Wheels, though, eh? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Looked uh, fine. Looked totally fine. What, what was that event called? Because they had like a sliding thing that you, yeah. it was like a skinny that you got on. It was like a, tr- a platform and it slid forward and Sam Hill did it. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Shum's, had Shum's March tore the front of his Chumbawamba off when he overshot the double at the bottom. I remember yeah. that. I like that we all have the clearest memories of like 2001 to 2006 Rampage. And then it's all drugs back blur. then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys remember Kirill Benderoni? Uh, yeah. Yes. I was going to talk about the that. open loop. Yeah. How he's, do we know how he's doing now? Uh, he, I've heard he's doing better. Yeah. That's good. Uh, for those listening, he had a, he had quite a bad crash a few years ago and, and sustained a pretty bad traumatic brain injury. Um, but I, yeah, I believe he's riding a bit again now and, and doing better. That's good. But yeah, that was the guy that came from Russia over and just started creating like the craziest open loop in the desert. And he was kind of like at that time, almost like I'm expecting Braga to do, like bring some different flavor, someone that's kind of from the outside or just does their, things their own way. So, you know. Uh, yeah, he, he had the classic first time in the desert, bit off way more than he can chew and ended up pulling out right yeah Yeah, he kind of pulled out and then we didn't hear from him for like four years or something like it really seemed to shake him up himself yeah Yeah. that's not what i'm expecting braga to do i'm expecting braga to win just for the record because i want (laughs) to see the viking just go crazy and just take it off but we're going to talk predictions later on but i think for me most of my memories that stand out they involve freaking cam zinc zinc Mm -hmm. is an animal he's unreal not only is he at rampage But he's calling out the biggest moves beforehand in the middle of his runs. 
Like when he did, when he flipped the Oakley sender, I think that was in 2013, he had one run and his pregnant wife was crying at the bottom. And he said he was going to do it beforehand, just like the 360 from a few years earlier. I just, like, I'm getting goosebumps talking about the pressure and how that, how crazy that must have felt. Everybody knew he was going to do it. The, uh, I think that's the one where the footage from his helmet cam, the now defunct brand of helmet cam he had, I don't know if it just didn't turn on or if it got damaged or what, but that footage is gone forever. That was a lot of YouTube money. That's That's gone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'd be so pissed. Can you imagine doing doing that and then not having the goddamn helmet cam? But Zinc, the other thing too, when he spun... He crashed on his first attempt, and it was like a super gnarly crash. Like, he ragdolled down the landing for like 20 feet. He gets back up. Everybody knows he's going to do it again. Like, if he was like, hey, guys, I had a bad crash. I don't feel like I'm going to do a second run. We all would have said, well, yeah, of course. Like, do you need a hug? What do you need? But he goes up there, and he spins it again, and he lands it and rides away. I don't know. To me, those are like the defining moments of this of rampage by far yeah that was the first that was 2010 i think wasn't it it's was the first ever rampage i watched and that had that darren barracloth and it also had the g atherton run where he like made the the ridge at the top look like a flow trail and then kind of did that wall ride um mm-hmm. so i think that was like a, a an amazing yeah loads of great moments but i think that's like how zinc approaches rampage maybe a bit differently to other riders like he looks for that that like viral moment and then it kind of doesn't matter if he wins, he still comes out of it on top because that's what people talk about. Like, you know, can you remember who won in 2013 when he flipped it? Probably no. not. Who but cares? you can remember that. Zinc flipped you know it. What I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, I would love to have Zinc on the show, but he got angry because I made fun of Reno. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he would be to have him on the show and be able to talk about what it felt like to do those moves zinc if you're listening come on the show i emailed you reno does suck though reno's yeah, a terrible 100 yeah, yeah, we sorry. can talk about that in the podcast though cam <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um the other thing that stands out for me i mean this is going to be a no-brainer but seminex runs he's able to like that terrain i've ridden there i've, I've been there many times not doing the things they're doing obviously but i've ridden like that sort of s- stuff time like <laughs> divided by a hundred and he makes that stuff look incredibly smooth. Was it in 2016 when he mm-hmm. did like the nose bonk? I always think about like flowing water or like I always say like no bones, you know, like ride like you have no bones, like you can absorb all the things and you're just like flowing and working with it. That's what he does. And to be able to do that on that sort of terrain is mind boggling. I think sometimes he's actually gotten downgraded in score because he makes things look easier than they are it's so difficult to be flowy there yeah yeah i think that's one thing it's easy to overlook when we watch all these people hit these giant drops and lines they almost look easy so i think a lot of the armchair viewers are like this is easy it's too chill it's slope style isn't like this isn't free ride but in reality these guys are riding some like just the steepness to start some of these lines it's Mm -hmm. like it's very scary yeah i also i really like how you have these two three-time winners coming there this year. You have Sorgi, who's a very different rider than Seminuk. And Kurt can win this, again, by riding how Kurt wants to ride, which is a sort of a more raw, straight-down-the-mountain approach, going absolutely massive. Or Seminuk can win this by doing Seminuk things, which is a very different type of riding than Kurt does. And, man, slope style is fucking boring because... Only one type of rider is ever winning these things. Whoever can squeeze in the most stupid tricks. But this is completely different. And a competition where you could have Kurt win or you could have Brandon win, that's pretty special. That's a good point. And if you look at the list of past winners, it's not just all slope style people. You know, you have Reader up there and you have Seminuk, but then you also do have like your Sorgis and your... uh, T-Mac. T-Mac. Yeah, people that are are more free riders than slope style. Yeah. Yeah. Before we move on to the next question I have for you guys, I also want to give a shout out to Kelly McGarry's runs from the years mm. past. Dudes, over that freaking canyon gap. That's an iconic moment for sure. Yeah, that was great. Nobody and people didn't expect it either. That was a one of, you know, you, some people expect to do those crazy big things, but then Kelly's just like, yeah, I'll do this. All right. 
Over the years, there's definitely been some judging controversies. We've seen some riders maybe scored a little lower than we thought they should. But I mean, we, we all also know that judging, man, I would never want to be a judge. It, you can't win almost, you know? So over the years, I want to know who you guys think was most robbed. And I don't want you to tell me Norbs. Casimir? I want to start by talking about who hasn't been robbed. Because so often people love to say, like, they just love to think got, yeah, <laughs> Norbs wasn't robbed either, but I mean, whatever. Like, yeah. you watch, I watched Norbs run the other day. It was sweet, but he didn't win. Um, but Faircloth wasn't robbed. No, like, no. But that's the thing that comes up because his line, I think his line is amazing. Not to take anything away from his line. It's rad. Like, I love what he's doing. It's a little mm-hmm. bit more raw, a little different. But then when you look at the number of big features he incorporated in his run and tricks and all that, it doesn't have the full package that the winners had. So or even the got, steeps. He only had one truly, really yeah. steep. Second. And it is a heinous, you know, gnarly steep thing. But like, it's, it didn't win. But I think it's, he's kind of like the people's champion people want to have like the underdog and they want to think that he should win because he's like the true free rider but the judging actually has a pretty strict formula that they've tried to make it as fair as possible like obviously they mess up sometimes and it's like any judged event like figure skating or whatever there's always controversy about all that stuff but and levy made that good point that so many different people can win in so many different ways that anytime there's that much variation in what scores high it yeah there's going to be judging controversy and people just disagree so I'm fully, again, I just don't agree that Faircloth was robbed. Um, so that's the point I wanted to make. But his line was awesome, and I do like that stuff. But it's just when you compare it to the other, to like Seminux run, you're like, yeah, well, he shouldn't have won with this. So Faircloth wouldn't have won, won with his run, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, well, I'll put a name in that then. I think um, Tom Van Steenbergen gets mm-hmm. pretty criminally undermarked at times. Like the, the time that really sticks out is the Caveman in 2017. Um, he ended up 12th with that run, which included that caveman, which is, you know, is a, a kind of a, a first at Rampage. And then he went down Seminuk shoot and Seminuk won that year. And he also like put some front flips in and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I- what got me on that one was that his first run was the same run. And then a second run, he cleaned it up and put in a caveman and it barely scored him any higher. And mm-hmm. I think that's where that made me kind of raise my eyebrows. I... I love that caveman thing to start as yeah, so yeah, good. It's so funny. <laughs> Imagine starting your ride like that. Like you're at the top and you like jump out of the shuttle truck and jump on your bike like that. That'd be so cool. I wish I could caveman. Yeah. I think sometimes with that, it's like the judges don't even know what it is or they don't know how to score it. And then it kind of ends up almost screwing over the rider because, yeah. you know, they probably have something that says like a backflip is worth X points with the caveman. Like it's not on our chart. It's worth this. And then it kind of. Wow. No, I think, I think those guys, everybody judging there knows what a caveman is and how different no i know they know what it is but i think that it just doesn't fit into the formula and sometimes it doesn't get rewarded as well as it should i think that some people have better marketing campaigns than others and if if tom had like called out doing a world first caveman or something if his first run went well or whatever and then you know did a vlog series leading up to it people were expecting and then holy shit he did it like yeah brian is that a factor that's the first time i've heard that mentioned the marketing campaigns yeah from the writers what why do you yeah for sure for i don't sure. pay attention so <laughs> yeah. i mean why do you think that brendan Fairclaw has so many people thinking that it's screaming that he got robbed it's because he has an awesome following and he he lets people in to the to the process right and so people have a vested interest in what he's called out and what he's attempting to do i don't think anybody seriously thinks that the people who placed above him that that one was that 2017 uh this day's robbed every time but 2019, yeah, 2019 or, 2019 i think 2017 so, or, yeah. yeah 2017 I, it was the year i think that everybody called that out um yeah. you know i think every single person who finished ahead of him could have done his his run and um that's a yeah i mean i understand why people do it. i'm not i'm not saying riders shouldn't let people in i think that that's awesome um but, you know, uh, Cam Zink calling things out ahead of time, too, and Kyle Strait as well. Those guys always have a, a pretty, I don't know if it's calculated or not, but the way that they, what they release beforehand absolutely hypes their run. Well, I guess when you only do like one event a year, you got to hype it up, right? <laughs> oh, Kaz with the salt. <laughs> Seminuk can do zero events and still be the best rider, Kaz. That wasn't a dig at Seminuk. That <laughs> oh, okay. was Strait and Zink. Yeah. Seminuk can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Zink, though. I mean, those guys, <laughs> they're, they're past the point of doing all that stuff, you know? 
They don't need to do all those things anymore. Well, I do think I do think that we're seeing a changing of the guard soon. Like I'll mm-hmm. go down this route. Like I do think that Zinc and Straight eventually they're going to have to stop doing this. Like you can't continue forever pushing the limits so so high. And you're starting to see these younger kids. Like look at Jackson Riddle. He can like turn himself into a pretzel with no shirt on and just do the most ridiculous thing. So I think it's going to be a, a little bit of a turnover. Just like it's kind of like those old crusty big wave guys. They're going to have to kind of move over a little bit as these younger kids come in and step it up but they paved the way like obviously like zinc and straight have set that bar to a certain level and the next crop is here kaz you mentioned something there big wave surfing we've all seen those videos from i think it's called like nazir or something with like the hundred foot waves and whenever i see those things i feel like i'm watching something that i almost don't want to watch to be honest with you guys so in that sort of vein are you guys going to be watching Rampage live? Like we we know some of these riders. We're not super tight with them, but we know them. Um, are you bothered by watching it live at all? I, I'm not. I do like watching it. I probably will watch it if I'm if the timing works out or whatever. But it is scary. And like um, for me, rather than big wave surfing, it reminds me of that. But it also reminds me of like free skiing competitions. Like years ago, I used to do a handful of those every year, and just being there and like knowing what that feeling is like and you know, watching your buddies go down and it's just so on the edge because it, you know, the, the consequences are pretty high, whether it's on snow or on dirt. So, um, yeah, I, I get nervous watching some of these lines. I just don't want people to, I think it's like the, I like when I see that people are calculated. It's when people try to throw, like throw caution to the wind and just go like, ah, fuck it. That's when things go wrong. So, mm-hmm. um, I think we're at a better point now. Like people have kind of figured out, but it's still so scary because it's a game of inches really, you know, a couple inches short and you're getting a full tomahawk off a cliff i've gone both ways um when when i had people uh riding riding for me in rampage you're scared for so many different reasons and you're so invested um i i would watch those obviously but it was it's it was less enjoyable than it is now um being a little bit more uh yeah stepped a little further back you can enjoy it a bit more um I think I think we'll talk about this a bit, but I I always struggle with the public sort of dance monkey dance kind of aspect of it. Like this is it's it's a spectacle, right? Those and, those boys are out there. They would want to be out there. I feel like doing that. Uh, some for sure. Um, but I think especially if you're uh, somebody who this is maybe one of the only things you do in a year. Just the pressure and the consequences. I think it's a real cop out to be like oh yeah we'd be doing it anyways therefore like we don't need to have medical insurance or we don't they can sort that out themselves or or whatever else or even just the the commentary of not everybody can be robbed (laughs) so when everybody should have gotten a better (laughs) score and and there's all this like oh well so-and-so got robbed and such as well the people ahead of that person also did really horrifying things and shouldn't be bumped down because you like somebody right James, are you going to watch it? Uh, yeah, I, I'll watch it. Um, like, it feels voyeuristic at times to watch it. Like, when you're talking about what, what moments do you remember? Well, actually, I really remember Paul Bass's crash and Aggie's crash and um, things like that. And, like, there's a lot of not nice stuff there. Um, but it's it's the biggest event of the year. You, you called that out at the start. Like it really does separate the great from the good, you know, and obviously there is the pressure and everything like that associated with it. But, um, it's like, it's really found out some riders who, who potentially weren't up to the standard before. Like, I think like obviously Regat King came in as like, you know, this kind of new King of slope style and it kind of ended quite abruptly for him, you know, and he's, he's just stayed in that slope style lane ever since. So I think, you know, you have to have that, that top tier event that really does kind of separate everyone. And it's like, we've got proving grounds now we've got the fest series, but I think they don't really hold a candle to what rampage is, as like a test for riders. So yeah, I, I think, you know, I think everyone's like, Oh, they should have more money and obviously health insurance and everything like that. And for sure. Yeah. But I, I do think um, it's important that it's there to kind of push those limits. While I'm being all dour about it, I kind of want to say something about Cam Zinc's 360 crash Mm -hmm. um, or 360. Um, It is for sure a defining moment. And I think it's probably the defining moment for a lot of people of sort of 
our era of watching Rampage or have seen it throughout the years. Um, I don't love it, if I'm honest. Like, that crash he had before, guaranteed he had a really bad concussion. Um, and, you know, it, it's a defining moment, but at what cost, you know? Yeah, if we're going to talk about that, we should also talk about, you mentioned Nikolai Rogatkin, James. You guys remember that cliff he fell off. Like yeah. 20 foot cliff, his freaking helmet came off. And he jumped back on his bike and finished the run. And I understand, like, in the heat of the moment, Kaz, you know, you and I, we've been in the forest and had a huge crash and, like, get back up and, you know, just the same adrenaline. thing. Exactly yeah. the same thing. Basically I, I the same. Hitting a canyon gap there. Like, he hit the canyon gap after, like, Regakins, for real, like, somebody should have stopped that run there. Yeah. He yeah. shouldn't have been able to continue I, on. Cause, like, he could have, like, who knows, something hit, happens when he goes to hit that canyon gap and then another yeah. impact. So, I think they're better at it these days, but it's still like it's rough yeah. to watch that stuff. I I don't want to be I don't want to be a bummer or a downer about it, but I think if we're going to talk about Rampage, we have to talk about this kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to be honest with you guys, I didn't watch it live in 2019 because I didn't want to see any possibility of really bad things. You know, I don't even I'm not I don't know if you could hear that, but I'm knocking on wood right now. I hope it doesn't happen, but like I feel like as I've gotten older, I'm way softer and now I just I don't want to see the <laughs> boys crash that hard and i I think that that kind of brings us into where we wanted to talk a little bit about like the people that complain about the groomed lips and landing saying it looks too bike parky but like if you're going to hit a 60 foot drop you have to have a prepped landing you cannot land on soft ground you're just going to get exploded go watch one of the early rampage videos yeah and they're only doing like 15 20 foot drops in there like these guys are going four times as big as the early rampage like they need some prepped landings yeah, so we should let's talk about the courses a little bit because the course has changed and the lines have changed and the style of of riding has changed so much over the fourteen events. Um, reading some of those comments, it feels like there's pinkers that miss those wild, wild west days when it was just mm-hmm. like super rough and like riders were getting taken out by little bushes they didn't clear and shit. They're just trying to hold on. I I pulled a couple comments. The first one is from Yurkel. He says. As if I saw Crankworks, not Rampage. That was on the building video that went up a couple days ago. And then the other one is, I can't even pronounce this guy's name. I'm not going to bother. But he said, I thought they wanted to bring back the old and natural style of Rampage. It already seems as though they have converted natural Rampage features into one big man-made theme park, perfectly shaped skate ramp style features, blah, blah, blah. Kaz, you touched on a little bit there. Can you just explain why we're seeing things more groomed than they used to be. Yeah. I mean, and we also should say that the top of the course, like that last comment, that guy watched the video that was, that came out the riders first hits. The bottom of the course does have a lot of pre-made jumps and things because it, it flattens out. The course starts super steep and gnarly. And I guess before I go even further, originally this year, they had planned to have a whole new venue. So you would have seen different builds, but that fell through. So we're back at a venue that's been used before. So that's why you already have some takeoffs and um, landings already in place. And there's no point in trying to go rebuild in a full new zone when you have a nice takeoff and landing there because it takes forever to stack sandbags and get this stuff going. But to go back, the top of this course, no matter where you start, you have to go down some super steep, rowdy, natural line. And so you've got that. Then you have the natural shoots. And as it goes down, the terrain does start to flatten out. And so when those flatter spots, they've put these feature in to keep it entertaining. If those weren't there, there wouldn't be any really it'd be excitement. Over. Yeah, it'd, you'd it'd just be, be kind of cruising through like something any of us could ride so that's why those jumps are there to keep it entertaining for the viewers and let these guys showcase some of the tricks that aren't possible up high and the gnarlier stuff yeah i think you have to remember this is like this is not just the biggest event within mountain biking it's also the event that kind of pushes through the most into the mainstream you know it gets showed on like american tv i think right it's like a prime time thing and like i guarantee everyone on this podcast has had a rampage clip sent to them by someone who doesn't mountain bike and is like have you seen this is this what you do you know like these (laughs) you know those things like the kelly mcgarry pretty much pretty much (laughs) you got it mom that's what i'm gonna go do today bless you (laughs) bless you facebook aunt (laughs) yeah (laughs) the kelly mcgarry like canyon gap happened on a um on a man-made feature but like it think it probably did quite a bit for the sport of man biking it might have inspired people to take up the sport so you kind of got to balance that out with your kind of core like dribbling up to 
drops and sort of wheelie hock it off them, you know? The other thing that we need to mention is just the sheer size of these things and the stuff that they're doing off of them now. So I spent this morning, the first hour of this morning, watching old Rampage footage. And, the, I, in, and I paid for this. I just want to yeah. pay with that. Out <laughs> I'm just play. at work, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and they were doing some huge stuff back then. Like Tyler Clausen's bomb drop would still be big today. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is... Clausen just rode off it and held on. Today, they're spinning, they're flipping, they're doing all sorts of things, and they are going even bigger. So to do that, I mean, you can't just be landing on freaking sagebrush, people. They need transitions, hard-packed, wide transitions, because they're flying 80 feet. If Tyler Clausen did that drop 10 times, it's a low percentage move. Not, not like, obviously, it's skill. He landed it, he did the thing, and he should get all the credit in the world for it, but... I don't think he lands that five times out of five, five times out of 10 even. I, I think he does, but no, dude, he, he's strong he, as hell. I know, but yeah. he got so backseat on that thing. And yeah, it was a, it was, that was just his pers- first attempt. That was his practice one. The other ones would be better. <laughs> I don't, I, doing that one 10 times is not reasonable. Whereas doing, you know, these guys, once they've set up their 60 foot massive drop now, it's a much safer thing. And I think I, <laughs> I think ultimately when people complain about it being too manicured, what they're really saying is it's too safe. <laughs> um, it yeah. doesn't look too safe. <laughs> I know. I know. And that's what gets me. That's why I get all grumpy about it because I don't want to see these guys hurt. I want to see them push the sport um, without, without endangering themselves on low percentage moves where it's like, yeah, you might crash. You might win, but yeah, toss a coin. Yeah. yeah. And we could also like I think people when you see more tricks, people start to say, "Oh, it's slope style." But I would say like at this point in the sport, there's more people in the whole world that can do backflips on a mountain bike than there have ever been at any time in mountain bike history. Like these guys can do tricks and stuff just like without even thinking. So why not add to your run and spice it up? Like it's again, the level has increased so much. Like remember how big of a deal it was when Gracia did his backflip that was like two feet high, and now these guys can do it off a forty foot step down. You know, it's we should let's talk about the course a little bit too. Is you guys said it earlier. This is the same course as 2016, 2017. Is that true? Mm-hmm. And does that mean that those runs, those lines, are they using the same lines? What are they doing build-wise? Now it's getting political. Right? Yeah. What's going on there? So there's lots and lots of uh, uh, bullying. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, what? there's there's uh, it gets pretty territorial, right? When In these builds. And some people who are who've been there before have some like quote unquote ownership of lines they built back in the day. So honestly, a lot of Europeans have, or first time riders generally have a disadvantage at rampage. And that's one of the reasons I like first year venues where every it's a blank canvas for everyone. There's just less of an advantage for returning riders and the the new folks have a a better chance at it. But yeah, it's territorial right now. I guarantee you there are people getting in. Yeah. Arguments and yelling at each other about, crossing each other's lines or using parts of each other's lines etc it's it's heavy out there it's not just a big bro fest everybody's hugging and no no No, that's uh, that's one of the things i don't love you know when you're down there and you see people yeah honestly like bullying people (laughs) yeah so far it seems like from at least from the outside it seems like this year might be a little better but yeah there were years where there's like some crazy arguments would happen and it just like such petty, silly stuff. It just reminds me of some of the stuff that like we used to have happen here in the woods back in the day in Bellingham, like two trail builders with cross trails and then they just tear one thing down and build another thing. And Ugh. yeah, so it's still, it's, it's this year does seem better, but we'll see. I think maybe it's because there's might be fewer riders this year as well. I think it's just 12 this year, I think, or 15, something like that. Whereas mm-hmm. there've been 20 plus in like previously. So I guess like fewer conflicts because of that. And no qualifying, so everybody's in the big show. Mm-hmm. Let's talk judging before we move on. Brian, I know there's a couple things you wanted to say about that. Almost every year after Rampage, there seems to be about a zillion people putting their opinions online about the judging and how so-and-so was robbed. What do you think, Brian? Uh, I mean, I think if people didn't care, then it wouldn't be a very good event, would it? So I don't... Part of me is like, yeah, whatever. It means... It means you. It means the world cares if if people have opinions of how things should be differently or done differently. I would say that people should look at who the judges are. They are not flippy spinny people. They are OG free riders, and I think it's worth 
remembering that it's different scale in person. For example, was it 2019 Brandon did the um, the flip lily pad thing, like the on-off drop? Mm-hmm. That looks... I watched it this morning. Uh, also, you know, for research. <laughs> On video, that looks very cool. But you see it and you go... It seems like, of course he did it. It just seems like a just a natural thing for him. But if you stand on the top of that thing and you think about pulling back into the thing and understanding that you're going to land, bounce, and then another... 15 20 30 foot drop at mock chicken it's it's a whole different thing and you know the the judges have been all over the mountain they're they're spending the whole time walking around looking at people's lines looking at at people's what they're digging and the terrain that they're going to be riding and they generally have a pretty good sense of what everybody's going to be doing in their runs so uh, i think just sometimes it's hard to judge from the outside yeah i've having been there and ridden some of that stuff, I, not their stuff, I, like, I had a crash there. I want to talk about my crash there. <laughs> I, uh, talk about some perspective. We rode, my buddy Wayne and I rode that Canadian bacon line and it, near the bottom, there's a drop. It's not that big. It's like 12 or something. And it you was rode a little the 2000, Like the 2001 Canadian bacon line? Yeah. 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 Really? And From the OG yeah. site? Yeah, I was on my orange 224, I think. Full racer boy, flat handlebar. <laughs> That's <laughs> Might actually why sick. I cartwheeled so much. <laughs> that is a really good claim to fame, Levy. You should bring yeah. that up more. Well, I didn't finish it. So I, I dropped near the end. It, was, it didn't even feel that windy. It was like a light breeze. Nothing like these guys have to face. And I went off this thing and the wind picked up as soon as I went off it and just pushed my bike to the side. And I had this crash where we walked it out later and I hit the ground three times in 75 feet. I went off the side of the Mesa and then I ended up sleeping in my, getting stuck to my sleeping bag for like the next week of the trip because the scabs wouldn't heal. They just kept bleeding. But I'm just, the point is perspective, like on camera, I have pictures of that drop and it looks like it's five feet Mm -hmm. and you don't, you can't tell it's windy. You can't tell how exposed it is. And it ended up being one of the gnarliest crashes I've ever had. You know, if you're not there, you don't know people. That's the point. I was looking at the at the 2019 versus the 2017-18 of Brendog's run too. And in 2019, where he placed higher, it actually looks much easier. Like he just flows it and he just flows the rock and you don't feel the fear. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you know, he doesn't creeper into that sort of crack rock roll oh. after as well. Mm-hmm. He yeah. just cruises it and it's more impressive. That's more impressive to the judges that scored them higher. But, um, I still think that the fear is one of the reasons that, um, it, uh, people wanted it to score higher the previous year. Yeah. Man, you know what Semenuk does? Obviously Semenuk is winning. Like he, he has mad skill and he's doing all these crazy, huge things on the jumps and drops. But what I love about Semenuk's runs, it's the stuff he's doing in between mm-hmm. the other people a lot of them, it looks like they're just riding down, like you're riding to the next move. Semenuk is doing like these freaking beautiful nose bonks, manuals, pedal flips. And it he makes, he manages to make it look flowy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big factor in, in some of his wins. Right. And it's, it's a big factor to the judges, but not necessarily to the viewers at home. Yeah. I think that's why some people, th- I actually think that Brandon has gotten, not robbed, but underscored in the past uh, in a couple of years, he hasn't won. I've actually been like, oh, maybe he should have won. Or maybe he should have. There's one year he got fourth. And I shot, thought he should have been second. Or like a pretty clear second, if not first. Um, also, let's talk about Andreu. We haven't talked about Andreu at all. Oh, That's yeah. one of the best runs of all time. So good. The one where we just went like 5,000 miles an hour yeah. straight down the whole thing. That was <laughs> so the steepest shit. Just, and like almost died, but then pulled it together. It was yes. Like, that was amazing. Yeah. He that could was, win this year too. Mm-hmm. That was the 2017 or 18 event but the one before in 15 16 i think when he won the year he won i love that run that's one of my favorite Mm -hmm. runs yeah even in um 2019 he didn't get a full top to bottom but do you remember his like save where he kind of came off the side of one of his drops but still like dropped in it was he's wild yeah he's definitely All right, so we're recording this on tuesday and a lot can happen between now and friday when the big show goes down but 
Let's talk about some predictions. Brian, who do you think is going to win this thing? Who's looking good out there? I'm so disconnected right now. I've got so many bloody spreadsheets. I haven't spent enough time on, on what's going on with social and the internet. Um, I'm. Can we make negative predictions? Yeah, of course we can. Okay. I would love to see Braga do really well. I'm not sure he's going to. I love what he brings to the event. I love that we're seeing people like that come in, and I hope I'm horrendously wrong, but I think that it is... People always have really high expectations for these first-time riders who's coming into a third year at a, at a spot um, without the experience of this type of thing. Um, yeah, I, he's such a cool guy, and I love his approach to riding, but... I think it's I think he's it's a tall order for him to to place well. Yeah, first year there too, which I mm-hmm. think is a factor. James, who do you got? Um, I think if Seminuk pulls off what it seems he's planning with a single crown fork, like flip whips or something like that, like that is going to be like a really huge thing for Rampage and probably enough to get him the win and probably sets a precedent for future years of more single crowns which i think that would be really cool um i'd like to see tom van seenbergen um he was who i said got robbed i'd like to see him get some redemption at that same same venue i think that would be cool Mm -hmm. of the newcomers i think jackson riddle's got a much better chance than braga of doing well really Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah kaz how how many points is braga gonna win by all of them just like so many viking doubloons or whatever <laughs> no i think i'd love to see him win i don't know if he'll win so i think my top three would be seminuk first braga second riddle third I'd like that to would see be that awesome podium. yeah, yeah. That'd, that'd be, be like awesome my podium. ideal podium of people that i really think are doing cool things for me i think if i could just choose anybody to win i would love to see zinc come out and do a couple things in his runs like Again, like go the biggest and do the gnarliest thing. I just, I love that. And then I want him to retire, maybe, <laughs> you know? But I think if Semenuk does whatever he's planning with his single crown fork, James, yeah, you're right. Semenuk will win if he pulls off what he wants to pull off, whatever the heck that is. Um, I would love to see Braga win or Cam Zink win. Those are my three. Any any of those guys, it would be absolutely amazing. I think... Wade's coming out of retirement, going to show these kids how it's done. <laughs> I would also love That's, to see yeah, yeah. that. That's actually my top pick. Whatever yeah. Wade does, I vote for that. <laughs> He's on an RM9 with a shiver at the top, everybody. <laughs> Just about to drop in. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap this podcast up like we always do with comment gold. This one is from that Tinker Juarez debacle. Now, like I mentioned before, if you don't know Tinker, he's a bit of a cross-country legend from the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, But he was kind of upset about having to leave Cannondale, though. Uh, So Wibbly Wobbly, his comment on that article was, the six people who still read Mountain Bike Action are going to be so angry when they read about this in two months. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ. For the record, I love NBA. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much, it doesn't even matter if it's true or good or whatever. That's just such an amazing comment. Wibbly Wobbly. So many points. Four pink bike tokens for you. (laughs) All right. And our last comment gold. This is on the top fuel release from Henry Quinney. Trail Squatch says, surprising restraint to wait until the third paragraph to mention the BCBR. That's true. The BCBR has just become the secret way to say down country. If you just say the bikes for the BCBR, it's like, yeah, one race. All this, this whole genre of bikes is made for that race. Yeah. All right, everybody, that is it for our Rampage chat this week, episode 85 of the Pink Bike Podcast. Make sure to head on over to Cam's social media to tell him to come onto the show to talk about Rampage, talk about Reno, all those sorts of things. And let us know in the comments, who do you guys got for the win? Who's going to do something crazy? We'll see you next week.